When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Corporate Casket, a semi-weekly series where bad businesses go to die. We will discuss any and everything from bad charities, terrible CEOs, and people that have a lot to hide. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be taking a look at some shady for-profit colleges, with ITT Tech being one of the most impressive examples we'll be looking at today. I'm sure many of my semi-older viewers may remember the commercials that they aired back in 2009 after the recession hit, promising students a job upon graduation. Normally, and especially within an MLM, it's right to be extremely skeptical of these promises, especially if you're in a vulnerable financial position. But this was a college offering up an education. Surely that isn't a scam, right? Well, if it's here on the corporate casket, then I'm sure you can't imagine that ITT Tech, as well as some other colleges like it, aren't really what they may have thought they were. So let's dive in and find out why. Somewhat flexible and because of that, I was able to spend time with my son. My whole life has turned around now that I have a career. We are educators helping people build a foundation for the rest of their lives. ITT Technical Institute, School of Drafting and Design. Now, let me start off by very briefly explaining the difference between a for-profit and non-profit college. For-profit colleges have become more common in the past 20 years or so, and many will operate fully or partially online. Non-profit organizations are mission-driven and have no owners or shareholders. This doesn't mean non-profit organizations and colleges can't have issues. We've talked about Salvation Army here before. Generally speaking though, for-profit schools can be far more controversial and leave students with far more debt. And simply put, it's not a learning institution, it's a business, and it's a business that wants to make lots of money. Creating a positive return on investment is how they stay in business. Revenue in a non-profit college has to be reinvested into that institution. This isn't to say that there are zero benefits whatsoever to a for-profit college, as you can get your degree faster and class options are typically more flexible. Personally, I believe the cons outweigh the pros as for-profits typically have a poor reputation, they're often in lawsuits, and you're more likely to be in debt. And student loan debt is already crushing enough as is. Your credits may not transfer and your degree may not be recognized by employers or other institutions. Even the best for-profits have scandals and are typically associated with targeting those at an economic disadvantage, like single moms and low-income families. Single moms make up 11% of total students attending college, for example, but 26% of for-profit student bodies. But more on this in just a little bit. Yet regulation doesn't seem to be the answer. Transparency is. Many for-profit colleges evade accountability for their own actions, misrepresent themselves to potential students, and again, leave their graduates with degrees that simply aren't transferable or worth anything, let alone what they paid for. There's been legislation introduced to establish this type of transparency recently, but this hasn't always gone well in the past. 
This is one of the many issues that people had with Education Secretary Betsy DeVos in 2019 with New York Times writing. DeVos officially repealed an Obama-era regulation that sought to crack down on for-profit colleges and universities that produced graduates with no meaningful job prospects and mountains of student debt that they could not hope to repay. In her first two years in office, Ms. DeVos has delayed critical parts of the rule, and last year, she sought to repeal it entirely. Siding with for-profit industry leaders and congressional conservatives who have contended that the Obama administration unfairly targeted for-profit schools. Education department officials have argued that transparency, not regulation, is the best way to hold all schools, public, nonprofits, community colleges, and for-profits accountable for their results. Instead of any accountability measures, it promised to expand an existing database called the College Scorecard to provide information on student debt and earning prospects. The database, which provides information, including loan debt information for 2,100 certificate-granting programs, was unveiled last month. There's also the matter of for-profit colleges masquerading as nonprofits or for-profit schools that have converged to nonprofit status without really changing their operations. WCC or Wright Career College sought nonprofit status in 1994 to avoid new regulations, yet they closed in 2016 after, as one source puts it, the teachers were unqualified, job placement was non-existent, and the school's diplomas and certificates were essentially worthless. There's plenty of other worrying examples in this too. Ultimate Medical Academy in Florida switched from nonprofit to profit in 2005 and then converted back in 2015. Managed by a team that has included former Trump University executives, the for-profit college's CEO served on the board of the nonprofit that purchased his company. Purdue University Global is another example of this, and one source writes, while claiming to be a public institution, PUG is exempt from state public record laws, exempt from state audit requirements, and exempt from state open meeting laws. The school is jointly operated by Purdue University and PUG's former owner, Kaplan Higher Education, under an indefinite contract that grants the for-profit company formal roles in governing the college and the ability to share in the profits. In 2019, PUG gained tax-exempt status after filing a misleading application with the IRS. This doesn't necessarily mean that every single for-profit school is terrible and every degree is worthless. There's simply a pattern of a lack of transparency among them. But today isn't about the history of for-profit colleges. It's about some of their most shady behaviors in recent years. And what led to the education department canceling hundreds of millions of dollars in debt for victims of fraudulent for-profit schools. So now that we've got a bit of context, let's take a look at one of the biggest examples of this, ITT Tech. ITT Tech began in 1946 as Educational Services Incorporated. And over the course of many decades, the tech school chain grew to well over 100 campuses across the US. The ITT brand itself, International Telephone and Telegraph, began even earlier back in 1920. Yet it wasn't until 1986 that all of these colleges truly became known as ITT Technical Institute and 1999 when the ITT telecommunication brand and the colleges separated. ITT Tech still uses the name under license, but since 1999, it's important to understand that the telecommunication company and the college were no longer under the same umbrella. ITT Tech had been taking steps all along the way to become what would appear to be a genuine college. They established a graduate division in the mid 90s, offering a master's in project management. The change in ownership benefited them, if anything, as they restructured and made record revenues of $316 million in 1999. 
One source writes, as ITT moved into the future, it was placing increasing emphasis on its information technology program. The rapidly growing IT industry was in dire need of qualified workers and demand was expected to increase in the coming years. ITT planned to capitalize on that demand. We are focused on repositioning our company to meet the demands of the new economy for more graduates in information technology, CEO Champagne said in a January 21st, 2000 press release, adding, the IT program is serving an important catalyst for future growth. The company planned to continue rapidly rolling out the IT program to the remainder of its schools in 2000. According to a January 21st, 2000 press release, an additional 16 schools were expected to begin offering IT during the first quarter of 2000. Additional schools were scheduled to begin offering the program in each of the three remaining quarters of 2000 to complete the rollout by the end of the year. It was expected that with ITT's new focus on information technology and the continued rollout of the CNST program to its schools, enrollment and revenues would increase in the coming years. It's around this time from 2000 to 2010 when ITT Tech's enrollment exploded. Their enrollment more than doubled and they expanded course offerings to include game design and law enforcement. With this massive influx of students, however, came some early warning signs and complaints. Federal agents executed a search warrant at the company's corporate offices and at several ITT technical institutes. They were searching for information regarding placement figures and rates, retention figures, graduation figures, and graduate salaries, things of that nature. CEO Champagne said that they weren't informed of any specific allegations, but it soon became clear that ITT Tech was doing anything to uphold their motto, get asses in classes. Now, on the surface, that may not sound too terribly troubling. Get asses in classes just means that they're trying to educate people, right? Well, it also means to say and do anything to keep paying the CEO's $7 million salary. As an aside here, in 2007, after Renee Champagne cashed out on more than 50 million in stock and stepped down, COO Kevin Modany took his place and effective April 1st that year. Anyway, with ITT exploding in popularity, let's take a look at why. What did ITT Tech do that other colleges don't? Now, one massive important piece of this puzzle is ITT Tech's marketing. To give you a sense of how much ITT Tech cared about its marketing, in 2009, they spent an average of $2,839 per student on instruction. Now compare that to 3,156 in marketing and 6,127 per student on profit. Their 37% profit margin was the highest of any for-profit college investigated by the feds, which is why we're focusing on them today as a case. The vast majority of any money handed over to ITT went back into their pockets, not into the education that students were actually paying for. And of course, one of the large pieces of their marketing was their commercials. I did watch quite a few of these commercials and many of them emphasize that ITT Tech is there for parents that need to get back to school for financial reasons, that want to have more time to spend with their children and that want to be a good role model. And this doesn't bother me too much because I could see any college, nonprofit or for-profit talking about how important college is to employers. However, as Paul Friedrichsen from NY Daily News reported, their ads were just brand building at best. And he would know better than anyone as a former creative director for the ad agency on the account. Paul wrote, we knew that the ITT brand and its distinctive block letter logo still carried a lot of positive brand equity as an early technical innovator going back to its founding in 1920. 
ITT has always commanded instant brand recognition and respect around the world, putting it in the same league as other early tech industry brands such as GE, General Electric, or Western Electric. Our mantra was simply to get asses in classes. To achieve that, and long before the internet, mobile delivery platforms and social media, we utilize transformative power of television. More than any other media, along with 800 number call centers, this proved to be a sophisticated direct response strategy to feed the school's never-ending appetite for new applicants. Always the chief antagonist in our commercials was the four-year liberal arts college. Throughout many of these 30-second and 60-second mini-life dramas following the formula of identification plus self-realization equals discovery plus call to action, we reached our target on daytime TV reruns like Gilligan's Island. Again, this isn't to say that a four-year liberal arts college or that any kind of traditional college doesn't have its issues. However, for ITT Tech to treat traditional colleges like an antagonist really does rub me the wrong way. You don't have to put others down to lift yourself up. And the same can be said of this college. If they truly were beneficial and they truly had a lot to offer, why put other colleges down to illustrate that point? That's just my opinion though, but moving on, Paul continues. My job was to direct the creative and TV production for these spot to pitch ITT Tech's exciting curriculum offerings. We promised a rewarding hands-on lab experience, which would naturally lead to a rewarding hands-on career. In the mind of our Gilligan's Island rerun fan, this was a slam dunk no-brainer. We produced TV campaigns in waves with each spot carefully scrutinized and scripted per formula to elicit the most phone rings. But even the best education marketers, just as with any brand, are not immune from external factors and market forces beyond their control, a major recession, fewer job opportunities, and a shrinking middle class. Under these conditions, aggressive marketing may actually exacerbate the downward tumble of an institution teetering on the brink, not save it. The ITT tech story, sadly, is a sign of the times and perhaps a warning to all vocational schools like it because when you're in the business of delivering careers, it's usually best to have a marketplace where you can have careers to deliver. Paul and I somewhat agree here. He seems to imply that, hey, ITT Tech was genuinely offering an education, but they simply couldn't deliver on the job portion because of the recession, the growing competition, the shrinking job market, or whatever other reason you may be able to come up with. Personally, I believe ITT Tech was more malicious in their actions, though we will get to that in just a moment. As valuable as Paul's input was, I wanted to hear from a few more former employees that could speak to the marketing aspect of the company. NPR has a fantastic article about this and they interview recruiters and the like. One of them, Walter Turrell, explains that he would use scripts in detailed PowerPoint presentations to call these prospective students. Most of these students, they were looking for a job, not more school, he told NPR. He also explained that if you were searching online for construction or HVAC work at this time, you may see a pop-up ad from ITT asking you if you wanted to study and work at the same time. Do you want a job or do you want a career? These ads may ask. ITT Tech could afford to market so heavily because their marketing budget was so massive. Their aggressive recruiting spilled into in-person meetings as well. The goal was to reach people as soon as possible after a lead was generated and then get them to come in for a meeting. Turul says recruiters were supposed to frame the meeting in person as a coming attraction and avoid answering too many questions on the phone. Maybe if you give them too much information, they won't want to come in. He says recruiters would try to appear as if they were swamped with meetings. How about today at two o'clock or tomorrow at 11 o'clock in the morning? And it got personal. On-campus visits began with a questionnaire or the witty or what's important to you. 
Tarul says that served as a backbone for the interview. If an applicant said, I'm tired of making minimum wage or I want to better support my family, recruiters would remind them what brought them there in the first place. One of these recruiters' sales techniques was literally called the pain funnel as recruiters were encouraged to ask questions that would be more and more hurtful, guilting people into attending their college. Level one would be innocent enough, asking for examples and how long their financial struggles have been a problem. Level two would ask what they, the prospective student, was trying to do about it. Level three would ask about their feelings and level four would ask, have you given up trying to deal with the problem? I could be reading a little too much into this, but when I see that question at level three, how did that make you feel? It reminds me of something like a cheesy therapist would ask. It's just as if these recruiters put themselves in place of a therapist to gain a potential student's trust so that they could better sell to them. And I've been in sales. I understand that gaining some level of trust is necessary when you're making like a sale, but like this pain funnel is so exploitative. And if you didn't come in person, then some of these for-profit colleges borderline harassment with the way that they would call potential students. It even got so bad that back in 2013, the FCC had to put tighter restrictions in place with the way for-profit colleges contact prospective students. Even then, these for-profit schools wormed their way around these restrictions as best as they could. The FTC stated that back in 2019, for-profit schools, specifically the University of Phoenix, would pitch ads targeting members of the military and name drop employers like Adobe, Microsoft, and Twitter. But according to the FTC's complaint and proposed $191 million settlement with the University of Phoenix and parent company Apollo Education Group, The defendants made misleading claims that they had special relationships with those high-profile companies and others that created employment opportunities specific for Phoenix students. What's more, the complaint alleges that University of Phoenix made deceptive representations that it worked with major employers to develop its curriculum. The University of Phoenix, just like ITT Tech, would seem so helpful and by their account, you were practically guaranteed a job if you studied with them. University of Phoenix even claimed they had an inside track and a competitive advantage for getting their students into Fortune 500 companies. In actuality, even senior executives had to admit that their messaging was light on support, though they seemed to dismiss concerns that this was creating massive misconceptions. Again, ITT Tech was no better. Its infomercials would depict students struggling financially before ITT Tech, but happy in their career after graduating. CNN Money spoke with nine former students who said that one of the primary reasons they enrolled in the first place was because they thought they'd be able to land a good job once they graduated. Ultimately, none were ever able to find work in their field. They promised me a job placement, said Sarai Gonzalez, who got an associate's degree in criminal justice. She found work with a security company, but wanted a job in law enforcement. When she couldn't land one, she went back to ITT career counselors to ask for help. They suggested she re-enroll for her bachelor's degree, which she completed in June, but still hasn't found a job as a police officer. And we will talk more about the job placement and graduate complaints in a little bit here. But for now, we need to also get into why I personally believe ITT Tech truly had negative intentions and weren't just struggling to place their students into a difficult field. But before we take a look at some obvious examples of why I think they didn't care about their students and I think some of their intentions were not really actually in the best mindset of the students, let's take a quick break to thank today's sponsors. The fall is extra busy and that can make actually eating well a little bit more complicated, but HelloFresh helps me simplify getting good food into my body. HelloFresh lets me skip meal planning and the grocery store and get straight to making myself dinner all in under 30 minutes. 
HelloFresh sends fresh pre-measured ingredients along with incredibly delicious recipes straight to you and of course, simplifies the entire process from prep to eating. And the fall harvest is officially on. HelloFresh is serving seasonal recipes like pumpkin cinnamon rolls and Friendsgiving friendly sides, as well as fresh high quality ingredients that travel from farm to you in less than a week. And I've raved about it before, but their app is so easy to use. Customize your meal plans every single week, no matter what you need, no matter who you're gonna be, you know, having hanging out with you or not, HelloFresh has got you covered. So make sure to go to hellofresh.com slash casket14 and use code casket14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. That's up to 14 free meals and free shipping at hellofresh.com slash casket14 and use code casket14. This episode is also sponsored by Stitch Fix. Now, I'm a fan of clothes, but I'm not a fan of looking for them. Whether it's in person or online, it's super time consuming to me and I'm never really sure how things are gonna even fit. But that's why I've been getting my style updates from Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix sends you clothing that expert stylists hand select for your size, style, and budget. They choose every piece for your fit and life, and it's an easy solution to finding what makes you look good and feel your best. Stitch Fix lets you try on pieces at home before you buy, keep your favorites, and send back the rest. They've got free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and they even include a prepaid return envelope in your order, so it's so easy. You just put it in the bag and send it back. And you'll just pay a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited toward the pieces you keep. So if you wanna get started with Stitch Fix today, make sure to go to stitchfix.com casket, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Again, that's stitchfix.com slash casket for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. stitchfix.com slash casket. I decided to go for my MBA because I saw some growth potential in the organization. I've grown quite a bit in the company. Uh, When I started, uh, I was the operations manager, uh, which grew into a director position, and now I'm the COO. I was married, my wife was pregnant with our first son, and we said, hey, I need to get my act together and go to school, and so looked up ITT Tech, and they had the courses I needed at the times I could go, because I still had to support the family. The first and most obvious example of why ITT Tech didn't care about their students is plainly in the numbers. While it may be difficult to argue someone's intentions from an unbiased perspective here, we do have some irrefutable data, and the numbers, well, they don't lie. In 2009, Kevin Modenay made $7.6 million as the chairman and CEO of ITT Tech. Executive vice presidents, the CAO, CFO, they all made between one to $2 million as well. As we stated earlier, they also spent more money on marketing to a student than on the education itself, proving that education was not their priority. If you're in a school, a college, and an education isn't the priority, then something has gone wrong. I don't feel that really has to even be said, but here we are saying it anyway. Secondly, there's the fact that the majority of students would have to withdraw from these programs because they just couldn't afford them, at least in 2010. Their retention rates were abysmal, yet ITT Tech didn't really seem to care. Again, their motto wasn't about keeping asses in classes, nor was it about education, but simply getting people through the door and to keep the profits rolling in. As one report states, While aggressive recruiting and high cost programs might be less problematic if students were receiving promised educational outcomes, committee staff analysis showed that tremendous numbers of students are leaving for-profit colleges without a degree. Because 98% of students who enroll in a two-year degree program at a for-profit college and 96% who enroll at a four-year degree college take out loans, hundreds of thousands of students are leaving for-profit colleges with debt but no diploma or degree each year. 
Two metrics are key to assessing student outcomes. One, retention rates based on information provided to the committee, and two, student loan cohort default rates. These metrics indicate that many students who enroll at ITT are not achieving their educational and career goals. Information ITT provided to the committee indicates that of the 64,921 students who enrolled at ITT in 2008 to 2009, 52% or 33,733 individuals withdrew by mid-2010. These withdrawn students are enrolled with a median of three months. Overall, ITT's withdrawal rate closely tracks the sector-wide withdrawal rate of 54%. The majority of ITT's students are enrolled in a two-year associate degree program. More than half of these students, or 30,012 students, withdrew by mid-2010. The cost of withdrawal can be substantial, as 95% of ITT defaulters were students who did not graduate. If ITT Tech genuinely cared about their students, then why were over half withdrawing? Now, don't get me wrong, the dropout rate among college students is fairly high to begin with because college is not affordable for many and no one wants the crippling debt. And that's also wholly aside from the fact that college is really not cut out for everybody. But for-profit colleges have consistently higher dropout rates across the board. Personally, I think it's because for-profits seem to care less about their students being informed and just, you know, like they said, asses in classes. And that's gonna bring me to my third point. ITT Tech wasn't educating their students about what they would need when they graduate. And I mean the very basic of requirements. One NPR article claims that students who enrolled in the criminal justice program may not have even been aware that no associate degree is actually required to become a police officer. And even with those degrees, poor credit and failed background checks kept many students from being hired at many police departments. Not that ITT Tech cared about telling them that. According to the Florida Board of Nursing in 2014, just half of ITT nursing students passed their professional exams. Both the nursing and criminal justice programs were ultimately suspended for many of these reasons. There was also the lack of accreditation. None of their nursing programs had a nursing-specific accreditation, CNN writes. Without the specific accreditation, a graduate can still sit for a licensing exam but many employers simply won't hire someone whose degree comes from a school that doesn't have an accreditation. And it will be hard for students to transfer credits or pursue a bachelor's or master's degree in nursing at another school. Again, that's why these degrees they offered were in essence useless. It's not the student's fault. And in this case, it's the school's. Unsurprisingly, as a result, many students suffered. So let's get into some graduate stories before we talk about the consequences that ITT has faced for this. Mario Valadares attended ITT Tech between 2008 to 2012. ITT was one of the few colleges offering the program I was interested in called digital entertainment and game design, he says. At the time, I didn't really know how to get into the game industry. When I visited the campus, everything sounded perfect. They told me I was accepted in the program on the spot, so I didn't do much college searching after that. He took out $65,000 in federal and 7,000 in private loans to pay tuition. Four years later, he now owes more than $200,000 on his loans due to compounding interest. When he first applied, he was told by ITT recruiters he'd graduate with a bachelor's degree and find a good job. Instead, he found himself buried in debt and like all of the other former students interviewed by Gizmodo, he was placed in a job that did not require professional training. I didn't learn nearly enough to get a real job at a video game company, he says. I was placed in a game tester, not a game design job. You don't even need a high school diploma to be a game tester. It was a huge ripoff. 
One massive document compiled of 66 pages of claims from former students all have similar things listed. Students saying they were promised a job within six months. Many saying the average income for their field was supposedly 60 to $70,000 a year. Some were told that 75% of graduates found work in their field. Others were told that the numbers were 88%. Some said that the numbers were high as 90 or 92%. This information came directly from their advisors and the career service department itself. The department that should know best and the one that clearly influenced many of these students' decisions. And just to quote a few graduates, ITT's job placement and earnings potential, I was told was false. I was promised that ITT helps place students in jobs working in their field or study. This too was false. I went to ITT because they told me I could do better in the field of criminal justice rather than just being a private security guard. I was a security guard for 14 years before even starting ITT Technical Institute bachelor degree program in criminal justice. The degrees, both my associates and bachelor's degrees have yet to do as promised to land a good paying job in the criminal justice field. I have applied for jobs in corrections, juvenile halls, probation, legal practice, and yes, even law enforcement jobs. I have been turned down by all of the above for a job. I did not need a $100,000 degree for being a security guard. After I got my bachelor's, the degree did not even give me a raise at the security guard job I was in. Another said, ITT Tech had recruiters come to my high school before I graduated and lured me in by scaring me about my future. They told me that if I didn't know what I wanted to do yet, then I was in trouble. I didn't have any colleges picked out yet and was planning on just going to community college. They used my indecision against me and hyped up ITT Tech and that ITT Tech graduates will absolutely land a higher paying job than someone who would go to a community college. Now, preying on single moms, adults in a recession, that's pretty scummy enough. But going after high schoolers that genuinely don't know any better, that's another level upsetting, especially when ITT Tech was convincing them to go to their college over one that was likely better suited for those kids. For the adult students, it was shameful to even admit where they attended. Some students even claimed that employers saw them as a joke and that their experiences after graduating were humiliating. I can't even say for sure if these students even knew enough about their trade to be hired in the first place because as some sources state, the teachers were underqualified or completely unqualified. The equipment and software they learned on were years out of date. The books they used were riddled with errors. Everyone passed whether they deserved to or not. And one student claimed that all their classes were simply PowerPoints and bookwork, not hands-on. It's not the student's fault that this happened. And I don't believe they deserve to be humiliated for it, of course, but how could any technology company hire a new graduate with years and years of catching up to do, considering how fast the industry moves? We had resources that were well over 10 years old, says a Charlotte faculty member. As weeks went by, I slowly realized how odd of a culture ITT truly was. While most of the databases and articles included in the pre-assigned class syllabuses were outdated, some did not even work at all because the subscription payment lapsed. I saw syllabuses that were four years old, she adds. This was supposed to be a technical school. I thought this was a huge oversight. It was a YouTube education, Valadares says. In a lot of our classes, especially towards the end, we would go to YouTube and watch tutorials. I was paying a lot of money for this school. I could have just done that from home. And look, I love YouTube. YouTube has given me some incredible opportunities and I've gotten to grow so much on this platform. And I thank each and every one of you that are able to watch me here or even now listen to me on the podcast. But even as much as I research these scripts and even as much as I try to give you as accurate information as I can, I know I will inevitably make mistakes. I have in the past 
and I will in the future. And that by no means does that say am I an expert in the topics that I discuss. YouTube is not really a substitute for an education. I'm not a professional educator. You can't just walk into a hospital, a tech company or whatever and just get work because, hey, you saw a YouTube tutorial about a job once. Traditional colleges absolutely have their issues, and I believe that trade schools, community colleges, and apprenticeships are fantastic options that don't get presented enough. But one of my biggest issues with traditional colleges are the cost and how inaccessible it becomes for so many people. The trouble with ITT Tech is not only is it cost prohibitive, leaving students with mountains of debt, but you don't even get the education you're promised. If ITT Tech was dirt cheap, then hey, you get what you pay for to some extent, and at least I'd be able to say that much. But to masquerade as a genuine education or a traditional college and then pull up YouTube tutorials as a substitute for class, that's not right. Now, a few years ago, back in 2017, a lawsuit was filed against ITT, only a year after the Department of Education cut off federal student aid to ITT. Since almost all of their revenue came from federal student aid, they declared bankruptcy just weeks later. All of this stemmed from the numerous investigations and 2014 raids by the FBI related to their fraudulent claims. The CEO, Kevin Modenay, spent the company's final months as they collapsed, focusing on increasing his financial take and trying to preserve his reputation instead of protecting the school's investors or their students. The bankruptcy trustee, Deborah Caruso, sued him and ITT's eight former directors for $250 million. The most recent update to this case I was able to find shows that the director's motion to dismiss was granted, but not Modenay's. So the case between him and Caruso seems to be ongoing at this time. There is currently a court docket online that's been updated recently as well, but that's kind of the most updated stuff we have. It's not thrown out, that case is still going, and we just don't have an answer at this time. As for ITT Tech itself, they were in a lot of hot water. Between the 2016 lawsuit by the Massachusetts Attorney General for misleading tactics, the 2017 lawsuit from former students, the bankruptcy, well, their reputation and the school was in the tank. All their campuses closed and soon the lawsuit settlements began forgiving loans. One in 2018 forgave 600 million that 750,000 students owed to the school. Then earlier this year, the education department wiped out more than $500 million in student loans for those who attended ITT between 2015 and 2016. 500 million may sound like a big number, but ITT reported $850 million in revenue from 2015 alone, with about 580 of that being sourced from federal aid. And throughout this process, ITT has defended themselves, claiming that they helped hundreds of thousands of non-traditional and underserved students improve their lives through career-focused technical education. According to a 2016 article of the Washington Post, state and federal authorities, however, disagree. ITT has spent much of the past two years clouded by allegations of fraud, deceptive marketing, and steering students into predatory loans. The company is being investigated by more than a dozen state attorney generals and two federal agencies. The only people responsible for ITT's collapse are ITT's executives who suckered students into low quality education programs so they could boost profits and take home bigger paychecks. Though there are over 100,000 pending claims as of writing this and Biden is trying to clear the backlog of claims in the Borrower Defense Program, a program that provides loan forgiveness to those who have been defrauded by their colleges, there are still so, so many graduates in this position. The door here at ITT Tech says the campus was gonna be closed today anyway, but unlike what the sign says, it will not be back open tomorrow or any time in the future. As glad as I am that ITT Tech has toppled and many loans are being erased and forgiven, many students that have attended these for-profit 
nonprofit colleges are in a similar situation. Credits earned at the school are unlikely to transfer, so now Patrick is desperate for answers. My student loans, and if my credits are going to transfer anywhere else, like. Am I just screwed? The students do have some options. And all of this only gets more confusing when, as we mentioned earlier, for-profits are becoming non-profits to try and seemingly avoid scandals that ITT has faced. Not because they care about the welfare of their students, though. Steve Gunderson, the for-profit college industry's chief lobbyist, claims that all the bad actors in this industry are history. But how can he possibly say that when all of these issues are so recent? According to my source, Gunderson addressed the change that numerous for-profit schools were now in the process of converting to nonprofit status in order to avoid the additional regulations and scrutiny imposed on for-profit in the wake of industry scandals. Gunderson insisted that instead that these schools were converting to nonprofits because, quote, the incessant opposition to our sector's very existence by some people has convinced these families that own these schools, especially the next generation, that they want no part of it. They're not going to go into it, and I could name schools for you, which I won't do because I think it puts them in a non-fair position of attack by our opponents. But I know schools where the younger generation has refused to join or enter that school operation, and for that school to survive and continue, their only option is to convert to a nonprofit status, end quote. For-profit colleges continue to fail their students time and time again. More than half of for-profit schools will never deliver enough financial benefit to recover the cost of attending, according to Forbes. Though this may not be MLM level statistics of awful, the fact that the majority of people who attend lose money is pretty concerning to me, especially because this is a college, not just an MLM party that someone dumped a few hundred dollars into, but a whole ass college. Plus, with their lack of accreditation, many students simply have to start over if they want an education they can actually use, putting them in even further debt than what they initially started with by just going to one of these for-profits. Unfortunately, and in no small part thanks to COVID, these for-profit colleges don't seem to be going anywhere. One New York Times article said that during the pandemic, they saw a surge thanks to the online schooling aspect. I hate to call anybody a winner in this crisis, said Jeffrey M. Silber, managing director at BMO Capital Markets, a financial services company. But I think growth will increase this fall and could continue thereafter. For-profit colleges have long devoted large sums to advertising, spending almost $400 per student in 2017, according to research from the Brookings Institution. For nonprofit institutions, that figure was $48, and for public schools, it was 14. For ITT tech, these numbers were different. This is just the average. Unfortunately, because of the financial distress a lot of not-for-profits are facing, they may have to cut back on marketing, Mr. Silber said. I think the for-profits may be at a competitive advantage. One of these for-profits, Ashford University, received so many inquiries that they had to hire 200 more enrollment advisors just to field them. Another one, Grand Canyon University, said it had a massive surge in enrollments. Though they may have a nonprofit status in Arizona and with the IRS, it is designated as a for-profit institution by the U.S. Department of Education, as if all these things weren't confusing enough, right? There's so many complaints out there about these schools, everything from calling constantly to not giving receipts and claiming payments weren't made. Hell, my scriptwriter Allie said she even had some personal experience with Grand Canyon University. So she said she was looking into taking some more creative writing courses to take online. And after requesting a bit of information, both Grand Canyon and Liberty University, considered to be for-profits disguising themselves as non-profits, haven't stopped calling her for seven months. 
This aggressive recruiting, lack of accreditation and transparency, deceptive statistics, all of it just really proves that colleges and profit just don't mix. If you've had a different experience, that's fantastic. And I don't wanna diminish that, but you're not in the majority either. So with all of that being said, that is where I'm going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I wanna thank you so much for spending some of your time here with me today, and I hope you learned something new. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing so that you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes. Again, thank you so much for joining me for today's Corporate Casket. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.